0: Welcome listeners to the latest episode of Flipping the Switch, a podcast brought to you by the folks at Jones Oslo EMC. This is Steve Goodson, and I'm your host, and I'll be with you each month. I'll be sharing things about the co-op and what we're doing in the community, energy efficiency tips that you can use around the home, cool things that we're doing to assist our members, to enhance customer service, and much more. So with that said, let's start flipping the switch. My first guest is Norman Bryson, and Norman is Emergency Services Director for Oslo County, and we're going to talk Hurricane Season 2019. So, Norman, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Steve. All right, let's get into it. So based on the experts, and I know you said you did some research last week, what should folks in our community expect this season as it relates to activity and intensity and maybe compare that to 2018 last year?
1: So, Steve, uh, we got two predictions that come out. One is from Colorado State University, and the other one is from the uh, NOAA, the National Weather Service. What we're looking in the 2019 predictions between the two is Colorado State is saying we're probably going to have about 13 named storms where uh, National Weather Service is predicting 9 to 15. Five of those from Colorado State they're saying is hurricanes. NOAA is saying anywhere between 4 to 8. Colorado State said 2 uh, would be major hurricanes, which is Category 3 or 5, or 3 up to a 5. And then uh, National Weather Service is saying that uh, there's a chance for 2 to 4 major hurricanes. Their predictions are, are, you know, they're not that far off. Both yeah. of them are saying it's a around normal to a below normal season. One of the big things that uh, from Colorado State side is they also put a prediction out there that says there's a 28 percent chance at least one of the major hurricanes would make landfall in the eastern United States. And, you know, you're talking about a greater than one-fourth than percent of chance the, of a storm coming in. Now, if we compare that to 2018, in 2018, we had 15 named storms. Eight of those became hurricanes. Two, Florence and Michael made landfall in the United States. Uh, Of course, Florence was uh, affected here in eastern North Carolina Mm -hmm. and South Carolina. And then Michael uh, made landfall in the panhandle of Florida and came up. Between those two storms, there was 100 fatalities and $50 billion in damages in the eastern United States because of those two storms.
0: You and I were talking before we started recording this thing, and it's amazing. I know we just went through Jones-Onslow a couple of weeks ago, got, got our notification from FEMA of our reimbursement for, uh, you know, for funds of monies that we spent. We serve six counties, serve 75,000 folks. And so you just take that number that you gave and multiply that by a bunch. And that's, that's how you get, I mean, that's, that's how you get that number.
1: Well, if you look at Onslow County alone, you're looking at 11,000 homes and businesses were damaged from Florence alone. And if you look at the dollar figure, it was estimated at $515 million in damages. And that doesn't include the school system. It also doesn't include agricultural or anything along those lines. And the county's even got uh upward of nine million dollars tied up in debris removal from the storm so and when you're looking at reimbursement from debris, uh the county could be up to eighteen months to two years before we get our reimbursement so talk about you
0: you mentioned Florence, so I was down at a lot of the meetings going on last September and we've been involved in some action planning as a community after that as well. I think we pretty much determined that what we thought we knew about hurricanes and how they were going to react, all that stuff kind of went out the window with Florence. So tell me just some lessons learned from Florence, uh, some things that you folks learned down at the county, down, down with emergency management, and how that kind of impacts moving forward into this year and into future hurricane well,
1: seasons. One of the biggest changes, and, and I, people will hear me preach a lot of this, is we're going to change how we do our messaging about these storms. In the past, we have talked about category, category, category of, this, of the storm, and the category only reflects the wind strength of the storm. We, because of Florence... Which was predicted to be a four. Which I, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Which did we did not get hit by a four. We got hit by a, a, a basically category one strength winds. Winds. Yeah. However, there was rain associated with that. You can't you can't associate the amount of rain that we got with any level of category. So yeah. in our future, our messaging to the citizens are going to be related to the category, which will be that wind strength. Another piece will be the storm surge. With Florence coming across as a Category 4 for so long and then downgrading right before it hit us, it it built up a lot of water in front of it. Mm -hmm. So we got a Category 2 to a Category 3 type of storm surge on our beaches, even though we were only receiving a Category 1 storm. So there again, there's a difference between what the category and the wind is going to be Versus what the storm surge may do.
0: Yeah, the other piece of it too, I think, is interesting. Is and I know it, y'all obviously take this into play as well. The speed at which yes. the, at which the hurricane is coming. You know, you say you know the lesser of two evils. Would you rather have a Category Four that comes in and rolls in in an hour and leaves, or would you rather have a Category One that come and honestly pounds us like Florence did. I mean, you know, and that's what obviously caused so much of the storm surge, but also just caused the massive amounts of rain. So the the actual speed of the hurricane itself, you know, lends to the uh, moisture.
1: Which is a part of what we also want to talk about is duration. How long is the duration of these things going to affect? And, of course, that other piece is the rainfall, which does not associate anything to these categories whatsoever. And not to be too much of a pun, but we also can't think that Florence was our high water mark. Even at 40 <laughs> inches of rain, I've done some research, it has not been the most rainfall that we've ever seen from a hurricane. Over 100 years ago, in an unnamed storm, we've got records showing that 56 inches of rain dropped up in the Maisel area oh, wow. at one point in time. So <clears throat> it's not been the highest amount of rainfall totals that we've ever seen. It's just the highest amount we've seen in our lifetime. In our
0: lifetime. It, it seems like every couple of years we're having, to, having a
1: 100-year mark. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> so finally, let's talk about moving forward this year, this hurricane season. Give our folks – a little advice maybe before the storm during the storm after storm just provide some quick tidbits i know like you said y'all y'all learned a lot y'all y'all done a great job in the past already but but kind of being thrown into the mix with florence and her just doing what she decided to do y'all took away lessons so talk to our listeners what folks can do just a couple things before the storm during the storm and after the storm just to be prepared
1: well, first and foremost, I'd say before the storm is to have a all-hazards disaster supply kit and a plan. And we're not just talking about for hurricanes. We're talking about for any kind of event that may occur. You know, Onslow County, our local area, we've seen tornadoes before. Remember the ones back in 2011? Well, yeah. And I even we'll dip back just a little bit. Even in snow situations, we had a pretty massive snowstorm back in 1989, which those are all things that can reoccur here in this community again. So first and foremost is have a plan and have a supply kit ready for, you know, any type of situation, not just the hurricanes. You know, people will ask us, where can you get uh, a list to find out what needs to be in the supply kits? And I would recommend for people to go uh, to FEMA.gov or ncready.org, and they would be able to find out those lists there. Now, the one thing I would recommend for them to change, most of those lists will tell you to have supplies on hand for three to five days. Going through Florence, I will tell you, make it for a week. Yeah. Go ahead and plan for seven days to make sure you've got enough food, water, and other items to be able to have on hand. Earlier this morning, I was in meetings with State Employee Credit Union, the banking system, talking about what they can do. And one of the things we're pushing also out is for people to have actual cash on hand. Because, you know, when the power is out, money transactions is the only way you can buy things at that point in yeah. time. So, you know, having money on hand would be a big thing. Also, before that storm, have a little bit tucked away to be able to help you in case you need to actually buy a physical product.
0: During the storm, say we got a storm, folks chose not to leave, they chose to stay here during the storm. What's a good couple pieces of advice?
1: Well, during the storm, the biggest thing is, be able to listen out for information coming out to you. Whether that's through the National Weather Service, coming to you from the county through Alert Onslow or through our Facebook page, any information that we're giving you to what the situation may be and how things are going to react. Uh, people have to realize, you know, in a storm like Florence, when you're here, you're here. The roads are gone, you're, you're not leaving. Uh, it's a big reason. And you, you had your chance
0: to go, but 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 you're here now. So, but, you, yeah. but you're here now, yeah.
1: and the other problem they have to realize is when those roads are flooded out like that, commodities are not able to get in. That means the food that you need to be able to eat that's and right. stuff is not able to come in. So you need to be able to listen for the information that's coming out that will you know give you certain direction of what we can do. Florence, first time ever, we actually had the National Guard doing airdrops of food here, bringing MRAs and stuff in so we could feed some of our sheltering people that we end up sheltering. So lots of things have, have, you know, because of Florence, we did a lot of changes. We yeah. did a lot of things we would never done before. In the event of after the storm, yep. you know, that's one of those times after the storm is, first and foremost, just because the rain stopped doesn't mean you need to get out on the roadway. We have hundreds of people every year. That will get themselves in trouble in flash floods around the United States. There's the the saying, mm-hmm. "Turn around, don't drown." Give some time for road clear. Start making you making sure you got your preparations to get your house closed up if you've had a leak or anything. I mean, Florence in this type of situation, if you lost three shingles off the roof of your house, you got pressure washed for five days with forty inches of rain, and that just leaked in and caused a mess. That's right inside of it, and. You know, one of those other pieces, it's kind of a before and after, is your insurance policies. You need to know what's in your insurance policy, mm-hmm. what's it's covering, how much it's covering, and make sure you know what's covered in it. And there's a difference between falling water and rising water. And the same insurance policy doesn't cover both, uh, cover both of them. One is a flood policy and the other one... Is your normal homeowner's insurance? That's
0: great information. We could keep talking about this because I think you're just, what you just mentioned about insurance was something that a lot of folks don't, you know, they think, oh, well, you know, I had water damage. And, you know, they don't they don't realize the difference. So, but listen, great tips, great advice. Thank you for coming. I told you previously before we started recording, but I'll say it again on air. I hope I don't get to see you till Christmas time. That would be great. That would be great, wouldn't it? Because I'm I'm our contact, and I hope, honestly, that I get to see you somewhere around December or late November, and I just get to say hey to you. Well, listen, next up, June 27th, is National PTSD Awareness Day, and I've got Commander Andrew Martin. He is a clinical psychologist and department head with Intrepid Spirit Concussion Recovery Center. And he's going to be joining me to talk a little bit more about PTSD and its impact in our community, specifically as it relates to our military neighbors and those who have served our country. So stay tuned.
2: Power just go out? Text us and let us know. Jones Onslow has added another convenient way for reporting power outages with outage text alerts. Signing up for outage text alerts is simple and easy. Visit JOEMC.com and click on Report an Outage. You'll be asked for your cell phone number and account number. After responding to a verification text, that's it, you're signed up. Save the verification text phone number to your contacts on your cell phone so you can quickly report an outage if it's ever needed. Standard text and data rates may apply. One more thing. To report an outage or for updates, you must be registered for the outage text alerts prior to the outage you are trying to report. If you register after the outage has started, you won't get alerts for that outage. Stay connected and stay informed with Jones Onslow's Outage Text Alerts. Sign up today. Welcome back,
0: folks, to Episode 2, Flipping the Switch. So as I mentioned before the break, June is National PTSD Awareness Month, and June 27th is National PTSD Awareness Day. I'd like to welcome Commander Andrew Martin with the United States Navy. He's joining us today. Welcome, Commander Martin. Thank you. Great to
3: being here.
0: Commander Martin is a clinical psychologist and department head with Intrepid Spirit Concussion Recovery Center. I was told I could just say Intrepid Spirit, but I wanted to say the full title because that is a very long and impressive title. So with that said, let's hop right into this thing. PTSD Awareness Month and Day. Commander, tell us exactly what PTSD is and the typical symptoms, if there are any, that might be associated
3: with PTSD. So, we like to describe post-traumatic stress as a normal reaction to abnormal events. You've probably heard that before. Mm -hmm. Um, And those events are witnessing or experiencing something very serious, usually involving death, risk of death, serious injury. Examples of that might be combat stress sexual assault, uh, domestic violence, gang violence. There are generally three clusters of symptoms for post-traumatic stress. First is the re-experiencing of the traumatic event in some way. So that could be through nightmares, uh, flashbacks where you feel or act as if the event is happening again, uh, intrusive memories or thoughts about the event, or physical and psychological distress at cues. And what that means is if we see something in the news or hear in a conversation that reminds us of this event then we get very nervous, we might even get jittery, we'll have physical and psychological reactions to that. The second area is avoidance of the event in some way. So avoiding thoughts or feelings about the event. Avoiding those external reminders or cues that might make us think about the event. So I might find it difficult to watch a certain movie or listen to a certain conversation, or I may need to avoid public places. And the third uh, cluster of symptoms is physical arousal, so trouble sleeping, irritability, uh, hypervigilance. Hypervigilance we mean when I go out, I need to be scanning the environment always for signs of danger, I spent a lot of time reacting as if the chances of something awful happening are very high. Exaggerated startle response, so if somebody walks up behind me and I wasn't expecting it, having a much bigger reaction than before my traumatic event. Difficulty with sleep, and then of course behind that comes difficulty concentrating. So in order to have a diagnosis, you have to have a few of these symptoms from each cluster you need to have them for more than a month, it needs to cause you distress or interfere with your functioning in some way. So since you have to have them for more than a month, that says that really all these things are normal for most people following a traumatic event. And while symptom checklists like this might be helpful, before you can have a diagnosis, uh, you really need to see either a doctor or a mental health. Only they can help you make that determination if that diagnosis is there.
0: Great. And that's a great lead in. So let's talk a little bit about anyone can get PTSD. But as it relates to our community right now, let's talk about Intrepid Spirit. And let's talk about our active duty military personnel. Talk to me about Intrepid Spirit's mission as it relates to PTSD and our active duty service member. I know... It's a concussion recovery center, so you deal with things like TBI, traumatic brain injuries. But let's talk specifically about intrepid spirit's role in the active service member and PTSD. In addition to that, talk about how many patients y'all might see a year as it relates to PTSD and if there is a typical process or procedure
3: uh, in being diagnosed. So, uh, like you said, the, the intrepid spirit... Concussion Recovery Center is mainly there to treat concussion or mild traumatic brain injury. That said, there is some overlap. You can imagine that the same event that might cause a traumatic brain injury could also be a very traumatic event that results in post-traumatic stress symptoms. So to differentiate the two real quick, some of the similarities you'll see between the two are low energy level, difficulty with sleep, memory, concentration, attention, some depression, anxiety, irritability. But if it's just traumatic brain injury, you're mainly gonna see, in addition to those symptoms, uh, headaches, trouble with your balance, uh, nausea, sensitivity to light and sound, vision changes. Whereas if post-traumatic stress is the main issue, then you're gonna have that being on high alert, being startled easily, like we said, fearfulness, flashbacks. Maybe guilty feelings, would nightmares. It be, don't mean to interrupt you. Would it yeah. be
0: more? Am I making assumption here? TBIs are more physical type symptoms. When you're talking about headache, I mean I, that's a physical. With PTSD, maybe a more emotional type symptom.
3: I think that's a good description with a lot of overlap between yeah. the but two. Yeah, there may be some overlap, but that mm-hmm. but that might be a good general way to describe. Okay, so we have, I'd say about. of the patients we see in Intrepid Center with a traumatic brain injury also have post-traumatic stress. Wow. And we see about 800 unique folks a year uh, in Intrepid. I mean, not
0: surprising, obviously, what our service members go through and what they go through every day and what they do. So that's an amazing number. So talk about success rate. And not necessarily, we won't focus necessarily on PTSD. We can just talk about TBI and PTSD, but success rate and you getting these folks back to active duty and resuming normal life, normal activities.
3: For the past few years, 90% or higher. Have you
0: been the commander the whole time since that for the past couple years? Oh, yes. Good rate yeah. bud.
3: Good, good job. Oh, well, thank That's you. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I've done a great job. (laughs) All all by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Oh, wait, wait, wait. With the help of loads of research, advances in science, and very courageous patients. uh, Because it takes some courage to to engage in treatment for post-traumatic stress. What the research is showing us is that successful counseling has to involve an element of exposure. And what exposure means is revisiting, thinking about, talking about that event. Now, the difference between doing it on your own and doing it in counseling, though, is that in counseling, you've got this professional who's caring, objective. They're not there to judge you, criticize you. They're experts on feelings, thoughts, behavior. They're there just for you and to work on your goals. So while the, the best therapies do include that exposure element, they're all designed to work at that person's pace. Yeah. And usually that's a smaller part of the treatment but necessary because we need to make sure that we've gone through and all those feelings associated with the event. Let them run their natural course. So you talked about treatment. So last question, let's talk
0: about someone that is not treated, someone that doesn't get diagnosed. Tell me what that looks like, what that can look like for that person, that person's family, just that sort of situation.
3: Well, obviously those symptoms that we talked about persisting and those affect what we can do, um, our relationships. It might be most helpful to hear it in the words of patients who have completed successfully their therapy or treatment. So the things I get most often are, I feel like I have my life back. I used to have to avoid so many things, and over time my life got smaller and smaller and smaller. I couldn't talk about this. I couldn't see these people. I couldn't go to this place. I've got that back now finally because I don't have to avoid those things. My relationships are better because I don't feel irritable as much. I'm sleeping better. I can tolerate frustration better. People like being around me more, and I like being around people more than when we started. And people are very happy about reduced nightmares, better sleep. And then the final thing they mention is they like that they don't have to be afraid of what they might think of. They can think about their traumatic event without getting very overwhelmed or very emotional whereas before it was a trigger for strong feelings each time. Now, if something reminds them of it, they think about it, it's okay. They can sit with it. They'll have a few feelings about it, but nowhere near as intense as before. You guys are doing some great work, and,
0: and you're doing it with folks that obviously are making a difference in our country that are, that are sacrificing every day. So, Commander, I just want to thank you for joining us. Thank you for the great information. Folks, remember, June is national... PTSD Awareness Month, June 27th, National PTSD Awareness Day. Again, thank you for the wonderful
3: information. Thank you for the opportunity, and I hope this was helpful for some of your listeners. Thank you to your listeners. Hopefully they find it helpful or they can use it to help a family member or a friend.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. Listen, after a short break, I'll be back with Aaron Spencer. Aaron is Jones Onslow's project manager for a new technology that we're rolling out this summer, Advanced Metering Infrastructure, AMI. A pretty neat technology. We're going to be putting new electric meters on the side of your home, so stay tuned. Hello?
3: Hey, Bob. It's Ed from Jones Onslow EMC. Hi, ah,
2: Ed. Short for Edward.
3: Nope, education. That makes sense. Listen, Bob, you probably love having your pool for the hot summer months. But I'm guessing you get all tensed up when your energy bill arrives. Ironic, isn't it? Well, there are a few things you can do around your home this summer to keep bills in check, starting with regular maintenance. Oh, yeah. For pools, keep the pump and strainer baskets clean, and backwash the filter according to the manufacturer's recommended specifications.
2: Oh, good to know. Oh,
3: and while you're outside, be sure to caulk around windows and doors, telephone lines, water spigots, and dryer vents. Mm. And you know that big contraption out there? (laughs) Ah. Yeah, the heat pump. Don't forget to have it serviced by an authorized professional.
2: Yeah. You know what they say about an ounce of prevention. Well, thanks, Ed. We do like saving money. (laughs) And energy.
0: Visit JOEMC.com today for useful safety tips inside and outside your home. Jones Onslow EMC, your local touchstone energy partner. Welcome back to the final segment of Flipping the Switch. We're going to change gears a little bit now and talk about some pretty neat technology that Jones Onslow is rolling out to our members over the course of the next couple of years, Advanced Metering Infrastructure, or AMI. So joining me is the Co-Ops Assistant Vice President of Engineering and our AMI Project Manager, Aaron Spencer. Aaron, thanks for coming from down the hall. Hey, man, I appreciate it. To join us to talk about the project. So let's hop right in. Advanced Metering Infrastructure, or AMI. Tell us a little bit about the technology, and specifically, it's been around for several years, but tell us why the co-op decided to invest in it now, and also give us a few benefits that the co-op will experience, as well as some benefits
4: that our members will see. All right, so the, the technology's been around for several years, and AMI technology in itself has, and it, it's kind of started with power line carrier, where some information was transmitted over the power line. And now the technology has really moved to RF, radio frequency technology, where the meters are kind of talking to each other using RF. Jones-Onslow has waited a while, and we're one of the last co-ops in the state to start deploying this technology. A lot of the other co-ops started with the power line carrier and are now moving to the RF solution.
0: Did we wait because we just wanted to make sure the technology was proven and cost effective for us? And what was the... What was you
4: the know I, th- I think the reason why you wait is you want to make sure that you're making the right decision and also the cost at the time was significantly higher than it is now just like with any technology when you let it go on and mature the costs come down you pay a lot of times to be an early adopter well that's right yeah. you, do. Yeah. you do with all technology really you can you you pay more uh, yeah. we've seen it with solar technology in itself.
0: So we decided that it was a time to invest in it. The pricing and our business model reflected that it was the time to move forward with it. And we're moving full steam. So benefits for us.
4: Yeah, well, benefits for Jones-Onslow, there are some safety benefits, financial benefits that get passed down to the, the member as well. One of the things that we have with an AMI solution is we have information to help us make better decisions, not only on the distribution side, but on the transmission side. The big cost and issue in this industry is going to be generation. And if we can have the information to help allow either distribution and transmission resources to help reduce the need of a generating facility, that would be huge. That's a big benefit, and if, you know, so we don't have to build another natural gas turbine. We don't have to build another power plant. So for
0: us, for Jones-Onslow, operational efficiencies through planning. Also, you said safety. What about outages, outage response? We do a pretty good job already. Our guys, when when there are outages, our guys get there as quickly as possible and they get power restored as quickly as we can. But talk about how the technology will help as it relates to outages.
4: Right. So we're doing the pilot project. It's a 5,000- meter pilot right here in town. What we've found so far with some like a benefit for the outage detection is uh, we haven't actually been able to get the integration with the OMS a hundred percent yet. And OMS is? Our outage management system. So that's not a hundred percent at this time. Okay. And we're very close. Yeah. Um, But what we found the other day was we had a group of meters that reported an outage through our AMI system during the night, then that outage was not called in until early the next morning. So what that means is by having the information come in late in the evening, we might be able to solve the issue before a customer ever knows that they were out. So it's going to allow us to be proactive
0: instead of reactive.
4: That's right. In a lot of cases. In this case, it was a commercial building, so everybody had had left, left for, the, for day. the evening. Yeah, and so that building was out the, at, overnight. Yeah. However, with this new technology, we'll be able to see that outage and resolve the outage possibly before the businesses ever open up the next morning. Good deal. So, what about
0: for the member? What benefit will the member see with AMI?
4: Obviously, maybe
0: potentially quicker response time for outage restoration. What else now, and potentially, I know there's some things down the road, but what, you know, once the system gets installed, some
4: potential immediate benefits, and then down the road? As far as the member is concerned, there will be benefits in possibly being able to see their usage in a much more granulated fashion. We have the access to hourly interval data. So the member will possibly be able to see the actual usage per hour instead of per month. What that can do is hopefully allow detection of faulty equipment such as heat strips that are on all the time or possibly issues with the thermostat that cause heat strips and air conditioner to run at the same time, increasing a increasing your bill significantly. So you'll be able to possibly see that in days, not in months. Not in months. So that's a, that's a big benefit. With this technology, we also have ways that we can possibly do prepay meter so that it's just like putting gas in your car. The way you pay for gas in your car will be the way you'll pay for your electricity.
0: You know, when I talk to people, I always say, so electricity and I guess maybe your water are two things that you don't realize how much you've used until you get a bill at the end of the month, so you pay for everything else, groceries. You pay for this or that up front, and, th- and then you use it. But electricity and you know and water, you don't. So the prepay, which hopefully will come down the line, a member will be able to come in and buy seventy five dollars worth of electricity and put it on a card or punch in a code or however the you know the technology ends up working and buy electricity like gas.
4: Yeah, that's right. And one of the biggest things is, you know, with with the way you pay for electricity right now, it's hard to really see what that bill is going to look like at this time. You know, like you said, you're getting the bill for what you used. You know, well, you got to think about it. months yeah. after you use it. You get
0: it thirty days after, and you have to kind of go back and say, okay, you don't remember that three weeks ago it was ninety-eight degrees, and that you had your thermostat set on maybe sixty-eight degrees, and that you just kind of churned through the electricity because it was so hot outside.
4: <laughs> and it was, and maybe it was a summer weekend. You had a bunch of friends, friends over, over yeah. had a had a gathering, and you know, doors, a lot of people in and out. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that. That, you know, we remember a week ago, but trying to put and piece it all back together with one value. 30 days later. 30 days later, <laughs> it, it becomes tough.
0: Well, so you talked about the pilot project, 5,000 meters. We started last month in May, and you talked about some things that we've already learned with the outage management. Well, first, tell me how the process is going, is the installation change-out process, and any other lessons that we might have learned from the process so far.
4: Yeah, the thing about it is the pilot's going great. We've, we've had a, a lot of folks that have really bought into this and, and put a, a lot of work. We've created a team that has really done a great job implementing this uh, project. We have done, according to a lot of our vendors, better than they've seen most co-ops at this point in time. Now, we've had a few hiccups here and there, nothing major, but we're doing everything as prescribed by Landis and Gear. Who is our our vendor? Who is our vendor. And uh, it's working out great. It seems to me like there's what we've learned from other co ops is that if you get a little ahead of yourself and try to do a little more than what Landis and Gear prescribes, things don't work out as smooth. I
0: like to always say with this, this is something that's going to be in place for a while. So I like to subscribe to it's a marathon, not a sprint. And that it's going to, this technology is going to be around with us for 20 plus years at least. And that while there's a lot of bells and whistles and a lot of things that are going to eventually be available, let's let's get the core resource out there of being able to read meters, being able to connect and disconnect meters. We're able to do that and do some different things like that. And then as we become comfortable, and that's what a pilot pilot project's for, is to make sure we get all the kinks worked out, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So so talking about the other meters, not going to hold you to it, but timeline. So if everything continues to go smooth in a perfect world and we go through the pilot and we feel like, okay, it's time to roll, Give our listeners a timeline for what they can expect. When will all these meters be in place, and when will they be changed out, and will be an AMI system?
4: Uh, Our original timeline to start the full deployment was August 1. We were hoping to have all the kinks worked out and feel comfortable with the system being up to bill and and, uh, work efficiently as a company with the system in, in place, and that was what the pilot was supposed to prove to us. So far, we've pretty much done that already. That's great. And our plan was was to stick with an August 1 deployment date and take a year for full deployment. We have talked with our installation contractor, which is Allegiant Utility Services, and they had a customer that they were planning on um, doing some work for delay their deployment. And they've asked us if there's anything we can do to keep them going. So we're gonna we're actually gonna keep these guys here. We're gonna keep them pushing some meters out and, and get a little ahead of of full deployment. So we're we're working on pushing the essentially starting full deployment pretty much in end of June, early July. Awesome. So this time
0: next year, getting close to this time next year, July timeframe, maybe August timeframe.
4: We hope all AMI meters are set and in the field. Barring any kind of big storm. Yeah. yeah, you know, a hurricane could set us back a, a month or two. Yeah. So so that's obviously a possibility. Hopefully we'll, we'll dodge the bullet this year and have a quiet year and be able to get things rolling. Awesome.
0: Well, man, great information. I appreciate you stopping by, providing our listeners with a little AMI 101. Just so you'll know, folks, if you want to learn more about the AMI project, you can go to joemc.com slash AMI. We've got a, a pretty neat page dedicated to the AMI project. We've got a short video. We've got some frequently asked questions about AMI. And we've got a informational little one-pager where you can click on, and it'll tell you when we come to your area to start uh, changing out, out the meters, what you can expect. We are notifying folks as well. When we're going to be in your neighborhood, we're sending letters, we're sending emails a couple weeks in advance to give members the go to JOMC.com slash AMI if you'd like more information. So well, that'll do it for this episode of Flipping the Switch. And until next time, if you currently don't follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or any other social media channels, consider doing so. So you can keep informed about what's going on at your co-op.